You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. We're the business development resource for group practice owners, where we talk candidly about business ownership and leadership. From practice building tips to live coaching to real talk episodes with other group practice owners, we're the resource you've been looking for to help you grow your group practice. I'm your host, group practice owner and entrepreneur, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is an online EHR, practice management, and billing software designed for mental health professionals. Therapy Notes has everything you need to manage patient records, schedule appointments, create rich documentation, and bill insurance right at your fingertips. They offer free and unlimited live support seven days a week. Their streamlined software is accessible wherever and whenever you need it. To get two free months, go to www.therapynotes.com forward slash r forward slash the group practice exchange. Need a new accountant or bookkeeper? Meet Green Oak Accounting, an accounting firm that works specifically with private practices. They do all of your accounting needs from budgeting to accounting to bookkeeping and payroll to building your dashboard. On top of that, they can help you set up your profit first systems. Go to greenoakaccounting.com and mention the group practice exchange for $100 off your first month. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Group Practice Exchange podcast. I've got Rebecca Burton with me today. She's a group practice owner who I've been following on Facebook for quite some time, and I'm excited to be able to talk to her today. She owns Beehive Counseling. Did you say counseling and consulting? Counseling Uh, and wellness. Okay, counseling and wellness. And we're going to be talking about mindset shifts. She's owned a group practice now. How long? Um, Since June of 2019. Oh, you're almost two years in. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. Wow. Yeah. I know. It feels like most of it has been through COVID. So much of it has been through COVID. Well, we're going to be talking about that. So hi. Hello. How are you? I am good. I am really busy, but good. I know. I feel like that's the story of all of our lives is just balancing, you know, 30 balls in the air. (laughs) Yeah. At least. (laughs) At least. Yeah. Okay. With dropping one every once in a while. Let's go ahead. That's the challenge. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll, we'll give each other permission to drop a few balls this week and like, let them just smash fully. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So tell for listeners who don't know you or haven't been, you know, following you on Facebook, talk a little bit about your practice and where it's at in these past two years. Cause you've grown uh, like a whole lot, um, in these, actually I should say under two years, not even two years yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely have grown, but I give, by the way, I should say this from the get go, I give so much credit to the group practice exchange and um, the uh, paid membership exchange and all the people um, that have really been there to answer questions and challenge me and all of that, including you, Maureen. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, my practice would not be what it is today without the group practice exchange. Um, so I started actually, so what I was in solo practice, I for probably gosh, I think 15 years maybe, and um, had just gotten really burned out in solo practice. Um, Didn't want to see as many clients or any clients really, to be honest. And I uh, took an early retirement um, two years ago and that lasted about two months. And I did not know this. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to find something else to do altogether, you know, or do nothing for a little while or whatever. And that did not last, obviously. Um, when I gave myself just a little bit of space, I decided that what I'd really like to do is, is to manage a group practice and 
um, hire really good people, right, to um, to serve the needs of the community and to not be that person myself. And then the burnout just went totally away, didn't it? <laughs> well, it, it was. <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> yeah, because you're in like this creative mode, right? And with lots and lots of problem solving. So that book, I always forget the name of it. He talks about like, you're always going to have problems. The challenge is to have good problems. Yeah. Right? That's a good that quote. Book. I don't know who did who said that. It's That's a good quote. It's a book with the F word in its name. And I don't remember what it is now. Is it Gary John Bishop's Unfuck Yourself? Maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. I have I have this podcast as explicit, so we're allowed to swear. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, that's awesome to know. Um, so yeah, so his, you know, his whole, I think it was him. He said that um, you only want good problems, you know, ideally, right? So opening a group practice presents you with like 500 million good problems and, you know, definitely some bad problems too along the way. But so the burnout did kind of go away, you know, because I was in this creative mode. Um, so for the first couple months, I was just um, getting my systems together and really like leaning on the group practice exchange for that and um, using the documents that are provided and all of that to really get things set up before I started hiring. And I think that, that was a really good idea. I have done a lot of like growing and changing and tweaking and stuff ever since, but I had good systems going in. Um, and then I hired somebody in August. So that was a couple of months after that. Starting out 2020, I had, um, I think we had three clinicians on staff plus myself. And then the pandemic hit. Um, oh, before the pandemic hit, um, I signed a new lease January 1st on a nice big new suite. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> oh, really? On January 1st? On January 1st. Yep. That's so crazy. This, um, this space, right? I'm in here now. Yeah. Nin- 19 offices. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, mine was five. So no, that felt like a big deal. It, it's huge. That it, Five offices is huge when you're starting off. Yeah. And so, you know, my thought was I need to hire people and, you know, that's always a challenge and whatever. And then the pandemic hit when we had literally been in the office nine weeks or something like that you know, um, and just barely even getting to know the people that I had just hired. So the whole rest of the story takes place within the pandemic, you know. So I actually just unearthed an email that I had sent out to my folks um, about this time last year, just saying, we're going to make it, we're going to, you know, we're going to get through it. Here's all the things that I'm doing. And here's what to expect. And it was just looking back, I'm like, oh, I'm myself. Like, <laughs> That really sounded like I knew what I was talking yeah. about. Did you say, I'll, we'll see you in two weeks? <laughs> yeah. April, you know. You're right. It was like, there's no way we're going to go through the summer. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's going to pass. Um, so, so I had just a real small group going into the pandemic and we were able to pivot and do all the things that, you know, all of us had to do to survive. And of course, I ended up um, surprisingly to me, I mean, I was really, it was this sort of brand new business. I was thinking it would likely fail, you know, in the face of this pandemic. And then what I didn't anticipate is just the need, you know, yeah. um, out there. Right. And so over the course of the next few months, I hired more people um, and then had this other location opportunity. And where we've landed up now is we have um, 12 clinicians and an ad or 11 clinicians, I'm sorry, and an admin, um, three quarter time admin, um, three locations. And we're uh, looking to hire two more really great candidates in here in the next couple of weeks. So amazing cool. growth during COVID. And that's, you know, one of the things that 
I feel like has been an opportunity through all this, you know, trying to find some positives through all of this is really, um, for me as a business owner, it sounds like also for you is just seeing the need and it almost feels like the stigma that has always been present in Mm -hmm. the world around mental health and support is maybe not by choice, but is starting to like wash away a little because there's such a need because people are realizing that that stigma is not supporting Mm -hmm you know, their overall health, you know, having that stigma is not supporting that. And that we're seeing also just a ton of need in the community. And it's, I feel like it's such a good thing in a way, because that need wasn't not there before. You know, I think to some degree, it's definitely, you know, people's um, stresses and and depression and all that might have might have heightened throughout all of this, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't I don't think there's that much of a change in just overall need. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the symptoms are increased, but um, it's just I feel like what this is doing is just highlighting how not big of a deal it is to just seek mental health treatment. Um, mm-hmm. And so for us, I feel like it's this little bit of a silver lining because people are just you know, either begrudgingly or not seeking out therapy now because they're just at a place where they can't function without having a therapist. And it's allowed us to be able to support the community more. And I'm clearly seeing that with you because you've made huge growth throughout this process. Yeah, we, um, this is true. And we're also seeing, I think, it coming from um, authorities or, you know, people in positions of power saying, get help, you yeah. know. Um, that there's nothing wrong with needing help. And so that's been both good and bad. So um, our governor not so long ago um, came out and said, don't wait, you know, get help now, right? And I don't know how it is in Chicago, but in Connecticut, the demand is so outweighing the supply right now. So when you tell your citizens of your state to get help and there is really no help to be had, then that's really problematic, right? And we are also an insurance-based practice and... um, the insurance companies, some more than others, have not been terribly cooperative through this, right? Yeah. So one of the things that's come out of that is that we, um, a group of friends and I started the Mental Health Clinicians Action Network of Connecticut. I saw that. Yeah. So it's a grassroots organization, and we are really focused on um on creating and kind of holding uh, legislators' feet to the fire and insurance companies' feet to the fire to um to remove the obstacles to mental health for, for clinicians and clients um, to be able to, to work better together to provide the care that's so desperately needed. And um, we are out there rabble rousing, you know, to make this stuff happen. That's amazing. And there's, there's such a need for that. Um, and, you know, when I see other practice owners talking about their concerns or issues that are coming up with um between themselves and insurance companies, whether it's around parity or um, just getting telehealth sessions covered or, you know, all of that. I think the best thing that practice owners can do is start something like this or participate in their city or states. Um, You know, we have similar, similar to what you have um, things going on in the Chicago area where practice owners are connecting together to um, advocate um, and and talk to legislation and um, the governor and all that stuff. And I think that's what's really going to make that change happen. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think that's been an unintended positive outcome of all of this as well. Yeah. So to mindsets, issues and mindset changes, what have you noticed in yourself in this past year and a half, or maybe even since COVID, um, since I know you, you said you had only one person before then, right? Before January? Um, I had two. Two. Okay. What have you noticed in yourself when it comes to just mindset as a business owner? Have there been any shifts or are you kind of now coming up against shifts that need to be made? Where are you at with that? Because I feel like we all are on different journeys when it comes to that. Um, My mindset shifts took my specific mindset shifts that needed to be made took several years um, into group practice ownership to really go in the right direction. And so I'm always intrigued to see if people are on the right track right from the beginning or if they start to notice it. Because I feel like you're kind of in that space now where I feel like I would have been recognizing what I need to shift um, versus already being there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. So I think some things haven't changed, right? So my my need for systems and um, and guidance, you know, asking for help, you know, was never a big deal for me. I figured people have already gone through it and figured it out. So if I can benefit from that, that's great. Um, where I'm seeing though, like a real mindset shift needing to happen, it's not happening yet, is this um, whole concept of busyness and urgency. Um, and I've been doing a lot of studying with, um, I'm part of a anti-racism intensive um, that's finishing up now, but it's been like this eight month long, almost like grad school kind of all over again, you know, and we are talking about just that busyness and urgency being such a byproduct of capitalism and white supremacy. Right. So it's something that has become really um, something I'm seeing both in myself, my expectations of other people, and also in my clinicians, you know, in my staff. And so how to address that and how to change it, I think is complicated. Yeah. Um, and it's going to require, you know, a lot more thinking and, and collaborating with both my staff and other folks. But it's a really worthwhile goal for me because the that downside of feeling like urgency and busyness all the time is that you're not present. You know, I can't tell you how many times I just forget things because I'm just not really there. I'm always on to the next, you know, project. And so I, every once in a while on the Facebook group, I'll post, you know, how many hours a week are you working? You know, and I'll hear from people, oh, eight, you know, I work eight hours a week. And then the rest of the time I play with my dog or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I work like 12 hours a day. There, something needs to change here, you know, and that's, that's the next thing that I'm going to be working on. Now, do you, in those 12 hours, are you feeling, because you talk about systems and being good with that. Mm -hmm. Are you, is an issue around delegation or do you feel like, you delegate and then you find more things in the name of busyness to add to your plate. Or is it like a, you know, what Mike McCallowitz says is like the difference between being a decider and a delegator, you know, a decider is someone who, do you know that? Yeah. A, okay. Yeah. What would you say? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question, right? So I think it's probably all of the above, you know, so a different, another mindset shift that I've had is to, um, is around delegation and hiring people. So I have two clinical directors, actually one in each of my major locations and still working on like turning stuff over to them and not being involved at that really like granular micro level, you know? And then for now, anyway, my, um, my admin, who I always have to say this because I think it's funny, he's my adult son and he's amazing. I love um, that. 
I just just did a podcast episode a couple hours ago with my uh, Nikki Ramirez. She's my HR consultant. She does the Q&As too. And the podcast episode was on, is it a good idea to hire friends and family? And her answer is yes, it's a good idea. Obviously, the lots of stuff in there, but you know, I have my mom working for me too. So I, I love that. Yeah, it's been, it's been really great. And he's fantastic at what he does, you know. Um, but I supervise him basically. And, you know, so we're, we're talking all day long and I'm really involved like on that very micro level when it comes to um, the, the billing stuff. And then I do my own payroll and I do, I am the intake coordinator for the, the practice too. So there are some real needs there to be able to delegate some of that for my own sanity. And I'm just not quite ready to make that that happened just yet. So not ready in what way? Yeah, it's, it's definitely control, right? So I, as the intake coordinator, I'm the first person that they, they interact with um, clients when they call and that's important to me. Um, And then also just financially, I mean, I'm taking on the, the new practice, the new uh, locations, hiring a bunch of people, you know, it's cash flow is the struggle is real there um, right now. So um, one of the things that I noticed myself in this whole busyness arena and it, um, my anti-racism coach is Natalie Edmond and she had talked to, cool. with me about you just had her present to oh, our yeah? staff meeting. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. So her and I have talked about the idea of busyness and capitalism and white supremacy. And I noticed, um, that it's also like ego, um, in some ways. And I always feel like. I don't like to connect myself with having like a big ego or anything. But while we were talking about this a few months ago, I realized that there are times usually when I really let go in the past and I'm pretty good now. So this is less of a problem with my group practice, more of a problem with the group practice exchange because it's more Mm. just me. Um, But this idea, and I think a lot of other group practice owners have this issue as well, is when we let go and don't have a lot to do, whatever that means time-wise, mm-hmm. um, there's this fear that your staff will feel like, ooh, what are you here for? And yeah. that you need to like earn, I'm doing air quotes for those listening, but like earn your um, your income. And obviously, that's a really flawed way of thinking, but... Um, I know that was something that kind of ran my thought process around productivity and why I would kind of run around doing lots of things just more to, and it was a subconscious thing, to feel productive so that no one could ever say I didn't earn, you know, whatever income I was bringing in. And so that took a while to let go of. Yeah, for sure. And I can definitely see that being um, an issue with me. And in addition to that, I um, have kept my my income really low because we, we don't necessarily need the the practice income to live on, right? So, you know, I've kind of got that double thing, right? I want to appear super and be, not just appear, but be yeah. super productive, right? To earn that. And then mm-hmm. also keeping it artificially low so that you know, I'm not taking too much from my practice or I'm not, you know, whatever. So it's a lot of money mindset stuff has definitely come up. I feel like that's the bottom line of most mindset issues around business ownership. Even uh, it comes down to money mindset. I mean, even when thinking about one of the big mindset issues I had um, and still 
on a certain level struggle with myself is around um, staff satisfaction. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, my assumptions always typically go to money and that staff want to make more, even though they, no one ever says anything. I pay really well. I offer lots of benefits. I know you, you know, a lot of what I offer in my practice. Mm -hmm. um, but I put this weight on money across the board to everyone else. So whenever I'm feeling like I need to do more, it tends to come from a place of something around finances. Um, and the way to make that work is to take it away from you as a business owner, take it away from myself as a business owner to make it work. Um, and so I feel like that's been a, a struggle as I get larger to be okay. And I've talked about this maybe a year or so ago on one thing that really helped with me on the, the money mindset and compensation kind of issue um, was looking at compensation benefits, the whole package from an outside perspective, not looking at it from a, I'm the business owner and this is a specific employee of mine that is making this income, but just like numbers on a piece of paper. It's like the one time depersonalizing things actually was kind of helpful. Um, and looking at it and asking like in terms of my geographic area, in terms of, um, you know, what other businesses similar to mine are doing not, and not looking at it just from a financial perspective because um, there's a lot of benefits that one group practice might have over another that doesn't has nothing to do with money. It might be like the work culture or the support um, and putting that all together, looking at it and saying, do I feel confident about this compensation structure? Not tying it to a person who might want to make more money where mm -hmm. that mindset might shift, but just uh, numbers on a paper and, and words on a paper. Um, do I feel confident in it? And I remember looking at it being like, this is really good. Yeah. Um, and that has helped me with my own mindset around money and staff satisfaction um, moving forward mm -hmm. is there might be people in the future who need to make more. And that is a very different thing than me not paying enough, right? Uh -huh. Someone might have a lifestyle or, or, or income needs that are just, that's a need for them that is beyond what maybe part-time or, you know, we do 25 hours are considered our full-time, but I don't like people working more than that, even though they could make more um, just for balance. Yeah. Um, and the ability to be able to say, not take it personally and be able to say, if, you know, you need more, it doesn't mean I'm not paying enough. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's really important, I think, for me to do, too, because I, I suspect that I'm sort of in the same boat, you know, that what I do offer is really good, you yeah. know, and also that satisfaction, you know, I just want to share something with you that I just absolutely love. So Carissa Phipps, you know, her, she's in the group practice exchange. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's also like in the middle of this growth, right? So she and I have been in it from the beginning. We talk, you know, a lot about like our success and stuff. And so I actually printed out this, these are her words um, in just a, a chat that we were having, you know, but it was so profound that I actually typed it out, made it like the big fonts. You know? I love it. You got to read it out loud. I am. Okay. So she says, why is Carissa Phipps? We have to shift our belief that success or normal equals everyone is happy and everything is smooth and stable. We are not failing when fires have to be put out or we are feeling growing pains. Success is us rolling with all this in alignment with our values while taking care of ourselves. I love that. Right. Carissa, good stuff. you're listening. Good job. I love it. 
Yeah. So it really has been not just, is everybody happy with what they're making financially or am I okay with it or whatever? It's, it's just not even expecting everybody to be happy. And yeah. satisfied, you know? Yeah. And that's, I think the bottom line is you, you have to be working within your values and knowing that that might not be within their own values. Right. And that's where, you know, this whole trickle down effect of how are you interviewing and uh, ensuring that you're bringing the right people onto your team so that they're in alignment with those values. But um, I think that's such a great point to make is that it's not just about what you're paying. It's not just about, you know, what hoops you'll jump through to make everyone happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But also that it, that those things and some of the things that you might not be doing, that those things are all in alignment with the business as a whole. Um, Cause at the end of the day, you know, Justin kind of a simple fact is you can bend over backwards to the point of burnout and financial instability to make people happy, but that doesn't bring health to the business and doesn't create long-term happiness for your staff when you have to let them all go because the business can't sustain anymore. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, yeah, sometimes what is the right thing to do and the most like, and again, air quotes, healthy thing for the business might be something that some of your staff align with and some of your staff mm-hmm. might not love. Um, yeah. And she's very right. Like difficult conversations are sometimes a catalyst to such beautiful growth. Um, yes. So, right. There's another thing, you know, that we're studying, and I'm sure Dr. Edmund probably talks, talks to you about this as well, is that to avoid conflict at all costs is another, you know, kind of tenet, right, of white yep. supremacy culture, right? Yep. So, you know, and, and that's another kind of mindset shift that I'm starting to get into because I would go to any length to make my, my folks happy, mm-hmm. but you know, at what cost and is it even real? So I feel like having like really working within your, your values is almost like creating a container yeah. and say, this is a safe container. This is what I can do and what I can't do and what I expect and what you expect and, you know, all this, right. But to continually kind of be chasing after like, what's the next thing that's going to make everyone happy is the opposite of that feeling of safety, I think. Yeah. And I think the f- really the first step for people like you and I who might have these types of mindset issues is the awareness of it. And that's similar to like this whole container idea. Once you realize what this specific mindset issue of busyness and needing to be productive um, at all costs all the time, mm-hmm. that they're what where they're coming from, white supremacy, capitalism, if that's something, you know, and as I know it is for you as it is for me, something that's really important for, for me to deconstruct and tear, tear down, at least within myself and then within my organization, it becomes easier to acknowledge when you're acting in alignment with white supremacy, just because you have kind of grown up this way. Um, it becomes easier to acknowledge and see that. I don't know how often now since starting to work with Natalie um, sometime at the beginning of last year, how many things um, I do are really in alignment with capitalism. And I feel so n- not mentally, I don't feel aligned with it. But in behavior, um, there's so many things that I catch that I'm like, yes. my husband, I'm like, this is white supremacy, white supremacy and capitalism, like at its finest. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, wow, all the, all the things we don't even realize oh, connect with that. But I think it makes it easier to then deconstruct that because there's a, there's a line, there's like a through line of where this is coming from. 
mm-hmm. I think it's made it easier for me to to tear it down. When you, we don't know, like when thinking about busyness as a whole, it's harder to tear it down when we're just like, I feel busy and I don't like it. And how do I undo it? But when you know where it's coming from and if where it's coming from is not in alignment with you, it becomes easier to not want to do that thing anymore. Agreed. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what are you doing just as a wrap up here? What is something that you are doing or want to do? And I might be putting you on the spot. So I'm going to ask the question in a long way to give you time to think. Um, to in like, I don't know, maybe there's something you're doing now. And if not, as an accountability, I'll be your accountability partner. Um, what is something that you want to do to bring you one step closer to shedding the idea of busyness in either your personal life or as a business owner? I don't, I don't care either way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. So as part of this intensive, and I should give a shout out to Shana yeah. Marie Brown. Oh, she, I went to a training of hers, loved it. Yeah, so yeah. we were probably, who knows, maybe even at that same training. And then she did the, I'm in the first cohort for her um, therapy that liberates um, yep. or decolonizing therapy. Decolonizing, yeah. Yeah. Um, so through that, I've made great connections. I have a um, a a coach, you know, and also there's a white affinity group that meets on the regular and, um, and then just the, the general, you know, kind of, uh, population that continues to grow as she grows. It's just this really great community. And so that is definitely going to be something I'm going to stay connected with even after the eight month intensive is over, um, to have these conversations, um, to be able to talk, especially to other white people, like, what are we doing? Yeah. You know? Like how much of this is, is white supremacy? How much of it is, you know, how much can be changed, how to change it, you know? So that is my, my goal. And then I really, and I say this all the time, I'm 52 years old and it hasn't happened yet, but I'm still going to hold out hope um, that, that those practices of being present, you know, have got to also happen, whether it's through meditation or just, you know, times of quiet, which I don't get a lot of um, and just really focusing on that. I recently started taking an anti-anxiety medication, never have my whole life. Mm -hmm. And I'm like three weeks into it. Mm -hmm. So if anyone wants to go back in my social media three weeks back and see what's going on, kind of maybe go four weeks back because it took a week for me to get an appointment. But um, (laughs) I, for the first time in my life, um, feel like I can actually sit peacefully. I'm, and I'm ADHD anxious. Mm. I am a person historically, like my dad has that shirt, that, that joking shirt that says, look squirrel, like the one where he can, that is literally my dad. I'm a hundred percent. My dad, it has worked for me in terms of business because I can just run on all cylinders without burning out. But I was getting to a place after almost 10 years of owning my group practice and having these other businesses where I'm like, my body was feeling very, Mm tired, but my brain just couldn't stop thinking of things and uh, ideas and just all that stuff. I got to say that has been one really amazing thing. I'm doing this as my way to like destigmatize mental health and medication for myself of like even just talking about it, but it's been really helpful in having moments of peace and then that, that are happening I didn't realize chemically just couldn't happen. And now my brain can actually, when I then feel guilty and think, hey, I need to do something, um, I'm able to actually now start working on being okay with not 
doing stuff. Cause I think before it, there was n- not even an ability for me not to be moving around doing stuff all day long because my brain just couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I just, I'll give my little plug here for medication too. Just um, a month or six weeks ago or so, I started taking trazodone at night to sleep. And let me tell you, I was not sleeping before. Really? And I didn't know like the, the extent of it until I started getting a good night's sleep. And that has really helped me be able to be more, uh, just more everything, right? When I'm, when I'm awake. So it hasn't really helped with the busy problem, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely- One step at a time. Yeah, exactly. And it's just made me more available, I think, in my own mind to thinking about, okay, how can I do things differently? Yeah. Well, from from one to another, I'm glad that we're making our <laughs> our way to reducing busyness, to being okay with it, um, and to also promoting that within our staff. I know you brought that up and I'm going to wrap with that, but you had mentioned like not only busy, busyness with yourself as a business owner and person, but also within your team and how, what our expectations are on our team. And that's something I'm really aware of lately is, um, how my work family sees me is as like this wonder woman who never takes a seat and just does so much. And, you know, in some ways it's like a, a nice thing to, you know, feel, but on and the other end, it's like, so if that's what they see, like mm-hmm. what, how does, how do they see themselves then in relation to me, who they think is this overly busy, super productive, doing so much. I don't even know how kind of person. Right. Um, and, and I don't want to be seen as that person, even though maybe on the surface I do, but yep. deep down I don't, because I know that that just means that they're comparing themselves to that and maybe feeling like either they need to be there um, or that they're like lacking in some way. And so, I don't know, just to kind of wrap with that, it's like, how can we then also make sure, like, it's almost, we owe that to our team. Yeah, exactly. Which also helps me kind of get my mind around it and realize why it exists and that why it's so important to change it. Right. So it's not just a nice idea to change it. It's really, really crucial for us and for our folks. Yeah. Well, it was great talking to you. I actually had a lot of fun on this topic (laughs) Um, and um, it was really good seeing you. I'll see you around in Facebook world. For sure. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Group Practice Exchange podcast. Like what you heard? Give us five stars on whatever platform you're listening from. Need extra support? Join the Exchange, a membership community just for group practice owners with monthly office hours, live webinars, and a library of trainings ready for you to dive into. Visit www.members.thegrouppracticeexchange.com forward slash exchange. See you next week.